Good morning, Harlem. How you doing? Good, good. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm always teasing the guys who try to hype the church up. All the singles in the house. <laughs> the Lord still love you if you don't say, man. Just you know, just mean it when you do. Uh, let's start off with the word of prayer. Uh, I want to thank everybody for praying for my recovery. It is still long, and you know I want to think that I'm that I'm getting better, but slowly but surely. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. I want to try to keep moving, keep some stimulation. Uh, Heavenly Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for giving us a place to meet. I know it's not ideal, but Father, we have a place to come together and worship, and I pray that we can do it with all our hearts. And all our soul, and all our mind, and all our spirit. Because we could be at home, looking at each other, staring at the walls, wondering who's going to get up and take that first nacho chip out the bowl to break the ice. But yet we're here, and we're worshiping you together, Father. We're so grateful. I pray that this lesson, that this message will inspire us to continue to meditate on your word and meditate on your goodness. And I pray that our meditation will be pleasing in your sight. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 There's always that awkward, who's going to break the ice moment when we have house churches, right? Today we're going to continue on with our meditation focus. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time, we've started the year off focusing on the spiritual disciplines. And we started off January with the focus on what? Prayer, Prayer, right? And then we followed up in February with Bible study. All right, all right. Some of y'all are with me. That's good. Uh, And and today, this is is March, right? All right, March. Uh, Mark your calendars. March 27th is a very special day in our movement, uh, and I'll explain that later on. March 27th, a very special day in the existence of the Harlem region. That's my birthday, so I just want to make sure I put that out there because it's a very, very holy day. It's a sacred day. <clears throat> Meditation. Uh, you know, our brother Dr. Irby did a fantastic job. Helping us out, you know, uh, just encouraging us, teaching us about the lost art of meditation. He talked about meditation and its purpose in relation to the Bible. Uh, he said that the Bible is not meant to be read, it's meant to be absorbed. You know, our brain is like a sponge. Our brain absorbs information, it absorbs experiences, it ex- absorbs memories. And one of the things God programmed and designed our brain to do is absorb his word. And so we, God, God is a, he's given us a fantastic brain. When you think about how you're able to recall childhood memories, you know, from when you were young, and you can also recall the emotions attached to those memories, we have a fantastic brain. And it is capable and able to contain the knowledge of God. And so we have to meditate on the God's word and 
as we read through the Bible, I was really encouraged to hear him say that because, you know, sometimes you can just go through the motions and you're reading your Bible. And uh, one quote, I believe someone said that the, you haven't really studied your Bible until you, you finished with some meditation on what you just read. Uh, that means that you're intending on practicing or obeying what you just read or accepting as a part of your life what you just read. He used uh, Joshua. So I'm getting ahead of myself. He used Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 where it says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You know, meditation should not be confused with analyzing the scriptures. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean you just analyze the scriptures. Meditation centers on internalizing and personalizing the scriptures. You're taking God's word and you're taking it personal. You're, you're adding it to your life and to your family. Uh, you know, the written word becomes the living word when it's applied to our lives. You know, the Bible talks about the word being living and active. How is it living and active? It's living through those who put it into practice. You know, I thought about, uh, you know, conversations I've had where some people feel like, I would follow God, I would follow the Bible if I had more evidence, if I had more proof. Uh, and I thought about that for a while, and I thought, man, you know, I guess that would help a lot of people. But then I thought about, you know, you guys, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? He was like the Terminator for a long time. And this guy had a lot of muscles. He got the, a lot of roles because of his, he was a bodybuilder, he's a world champion bodybuilder. Very few people got the opportunity to see him work out in the gym. But you look at him and you see that he's a muscular man. But you never saw with your eyes him actually going into the gym and putting, you know, get, getting to work and, you know, exercise. You never walked with him every day to see his diet, but you look at the end result, and we believe what we see because we see the muscles. But where's the evidence that he worked hard for those muscles? He could have had plastic surgery, like some people do today. And so, what's the evidence? Well, look around the room. This is the evidence that God's Word works. So many people from different walks of life Coming together simply because of Jesus Christ. And how did they know about Jesus? Because somebody told them about it. And so evidence is important, but we also got to make sure that we, may, we meditate on what God is really trying to get us to see and what, really, uh, what, we, what can we can do uh, to really help our faith along. You know, he also talked about Bible studies not being effective if it does not result in meditation and what you just read. Today, I really want to take, uh, I want to continue on this path of meditation with a new series called Making Space for God. Making Space for God. You know, the title was inspired by a quote from this uh, theological professor. And I love the quote because it says, through meditation, we make space for God. You know, when I think about us, we, you know, most of us are busy. We wear many hats. There's always, there's a whole lot of clutter, not just in our minds, but also just in our lives. Sometimes you come home from work and you just had a crazy day at work. You just want to relax and then you're reminded, oh, I got to clean this up. 
I got to straighten that up. I got to move that. I got to take that out. I got to finish that project after I finish this project. And you know, storage units love some of us because we got so much stuff and we, we got, so, we got to find somewhere to put it. And our lives are just busy and cluttered and, 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 and just taking up space and time. And we have to be deliberate about making space for God. We have to actively be engaged in making space for God. You know, uh, meditation, in its simplest term, is focus. I love this quote by, by Becker. It says, it's when we simply stop what we're doing and make space in our mind to focus on God. You know, this definition, you know, these are the Hebrew words that, the root words to meditation. Uh, when you look at it, meditation really is like a, a, a slow murmur to yourself. It was even used to describe a lion's growl, growl in Isaiah. So it's almost as if the person is repeating the word over and over, the phrase or, or the sentence or the passage over and over to themselves until it becomes a part of who they are. And so it makes a lot of sense when Jesus in Matthew rebukes the Pharisees when he talks about prayer and talks about them not being heard because of their many words. Remember that passage? He said they think that they'll be heard because of their many words, because of their mummering, because of their muttering. They think that because of how they meditate on, on, on the traditions that they will be heard. But Jesus is like, you're not going to be heard if you don't intend to put it into practice. So the whole point of meditation is to have a devotional thought with the act of giving considerable thought about a person or subject with the focus of responding to the information. It means that you intend to do something with what you just read. That you're not just reading for mere knowledge, but you're reading for application. You're reading for strength. You're reading for encouragement. You're reading for direction. And you're reading for connection with God and his family. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what God wants us to meditate on. There's just a, a handful of things uh, that I found in the scripture that God wants us to meditate on. You know, the first one we're going to look at today is meditating on God's word. You know, there's some passages in the Bible that I believe can really change our lives. And some, some of us, you know, these are very familiar passages but I believe that we really meditate on these passages. You've probably read these passages over and over again. But when you stop to really meditate and take it in and think about what does this mean for me, it changes you. It changes your perspective and it will change your outlook on life. The second thing we'll look at is meditating on God's creation. You know, oftentimes David and some of the songwriters would just meditate on what God has done, the works of his hands, what God has created. And then lastly, we'll wrap up our series focused on meditating on our purpose. There are people right now stumbling through life not knowing what they're here for. What's my purpose? Why am I here? Am I to be a doctor? Should I be a lawyer? They're focused more on vocation than on application and transformation like who should I become rather than what I what should I do who should I become as a human being who did God put me on earth 
to become. And that's what it means to transformation. So let's get into this. Meditate on God's word. You guys still with me, right? Meditation is not a time for technical studies or an examination of the scripture. It's a time to just humbly accept the word addressed to you. You might spend a whole week on a single passage, a single event that you experienced as a believer. Or maybe you come across a parable in the Bible that you have a hard time understanding initially, but after spending time meditating on it, God gives you more insight. You know, Jesus spoke parables for a reason. It's because he wanted people to wrestle with them, which is why he rarely gave the explanation to his audience. It was only when he was in private with his disciples and they would ask, Lord, what what did you mean by you know, being a seed on, on, on hard ground. Like, what was that about? And what did you mean about the birds? Why, am I a bird? Am I a seed? Which one am I in the store? And so Jesus explained to his disciples. But everybody else, he wanted them to wrestle with it. He wanted them to wrestle. He wanted them to really think about what does this mean for me? Who am I in this story? And so God would speak to us. You know, sometimes you could spend a whole week on a passage And I encourage you, don't just gloss over scripture. Wrestle with it. Take as much time as you need, but let it change you. Let it it develop in your heart. And, you know, I believe that there are a couple verses that we need to allow to take root in our hearts. There are many verses. There are many verses, but I think that there's some that God wants us to prioritize. The first one is loving the Lord our God. In Mark chapter 12, Verse 29 and 30 says the most important one answered Jesus is this. Jesus starts it off by saying this is the most important command. The most important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You know, the Jews would recite this daily. It was called the Shema. And it included included parts of Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 11, and Numbers Numbers 15. And they would would recite this Shema to themselves, and and they would recite it to their families twice a day, every day, because they did not want to forget to love the Lord their God with all their heart. Now, God had just rescued them from Egypt. And you would think that it would be automatic to worship God and give your whole life to God who just rescued you and your family from 435 years of slavery. You would think that addiction and being rescued from it would automatically lead to a changed life in some people. You would think that escaping death or coming back from financial ruin, that all you had to do was show up to church one time and, yes, take my life. God paid my bills. God saved my life. God healed my disease. You would think that that would result in a changed life. How many people have you heard or have known say, if God get me out of this one thing, 
Lord, some of us, we laugh because some of us said the same thing. I've, I've said it over a hundred times. Only to go back a few days later and be like, whoo, I'm glad I got out of that one. And right away, forget what we said to God. Well, see, the Israelites were cautious. They were like, no, we can't forget what God did for us. We got to, we got to, Lord, Lord. And, and, and what they would do is they would walk about, and they were shepherds, so they were always out in the field, and they would walk about, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And they would do this muttering with a low voice that it sounded like a growl, but what it was doing, it was sinking deep into their hearts. And they would say that, and they would meditate. And, you know, the Bible says in Genesis, uh, I believe it's Genesis 34, that Isaac was out in the field, and he was meditating. It was a practice. And it was passed on to generation, to generation, to generation, to generation. So when it got to Jesus' time, the Jews already, they were already, that was part of their culture. That was a part of their culture. They meditated on the word. But over the years, the practice got watered down because they started adding extra rules and extra traditions and, and, and loving God started to get more and more, uh, become more and more routine rather than it being out of a heart full of gratitude. It became now a sense of duty, almost like Got to get up at 10 a.m. and go to church. Got to be at church at 10 a.m. Got to be at church at 10 a.m. Got to make it to midweek, 7 o'clock. I'm running late. Got to run to the week. Got to read my Bible. Got to read my Bible. Got to pray. Got to pray. Got to pray. And we're like saying it over and over to ourselves and over and over to ourselves. And the love is not really there. And in five years as a Christian, we wonder, man, how come I hadn't grown so much? It's because it's not really sinking in where it needs to be. See, God doesn't want us to love him with words. He wants us to love him from within. He wants us to love him with all our being. And look, guys, to, to obey this, you're gonna, it's going to take everything you got. It's going to take everything you got to love God. And you may think that, James, that's hard. How can it be hard to love God? We're not talking about... We're not, we're not talking about loving, uh, I almost said the, I ain't gonna say, we, our, our other leaderships. We're not talking about loving your enemy. We're talking about loving the great and awesome God who reminded your lungs to breathe every few seconds, who reminds your heart to pump blood through the rest of your body, who reminds your brains to, to fire off the synapses so that it can function properly. The same God who designed your body to grow automatically so you don't have to remind your, big, your right foot to grow with your left foot. Because let's be honest, depending on which one you favor, you'll probably be like, you know what? I can be all right with a size 9 on this foot as long as this foot is a size 11. I'll just hop along. If some of us had to remind ourselves to breathe with all the other stuff you got going on in your mind, but God loves you so much that he designed you in such a way that you don't have to worry about all those things. 
yet alone giving you air to breathe. You can spend a whole week on this passage alone. Loving God with all your heart, that's desiring God. With all your soul, your very life, your salvation. God, I'm giving my life to you. Do with it as you please. Your mind, your, very, your intellect, your thoughts being devoted to only godly things. Worry or worship. I'm going to love God with my mind, so that means I'm not going to worry about anything this week. With all your strength, your energy, your laziness gets conquered by diligence. We're not, we're not slacking on the things that we know we should do because we're loving God with all our strength. And get this. This is the most important one. The most important one. And then God gives us, Jesus reminds us of a second one that I believe they muttered to themselves, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, James, we already know this stuff. Yeah, but are we doing it? You see, when you love God, it makes it a lot easier to love your neighbor. Because, you know, God loves your neighbor. And so if you're being like God, then that means that you're also loving your neighbor. Now you're like, well, James, how could God love my neighbor? They be blasting music till 2 o'clock in the morning. Surely the Lord can't love that. And it ain't gospel. It's not gospel. This is reggaeton that they're blasting at 2 a.m. in the morning. And I tried to share my faith. I tried to invite them to church. I tried to invite them to house church, and they said no. So is God loving my neighbor? Absolutely. It's not like you walk down the side of the street, and there's only sunshine, and your neighbor's on the other side, and there's rainstorms and, and hail. They get to enjoy the same sun as you. That's love from God. The way God sees it is, look, if I show them kindness, then maybe they'll repent too. Because I want them to see that I love them too. Because remember, even while you were still sinners, Christ Jesus died. You know, there was a recent survey done by the Barna Group on the state of evangelism. And, you know, one of the ways that God has given us to love our neighbor is to tell them about Jesus. Tell them about what Jesus did for you. Tell them about how your life has been impacted by God's word, how, how being a part of a community of believers has helped you endure a lot of trials and helped you in many, many ways. And so, you know, the survey was done on the state of evangelism. And it was really interesting because they surveyed people who called themselves, you know, believing Christians. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that Nearly half of millennials practicing Christians say it is wrong to evangelize. For 47% felt that it was wrong. Now, when you further, when you keep reading the study, it talks about how some people feel like it's wrong to tell somebody about God when they have another religion. They say, well, I think it's wrong for me to tell somebody to, you know, to, to be open to my religious beliefs because they have their own. 
At the same time, two out of three millennials believe being a witness about Jesus is part of their faith. So they believe that sharing their faith should be done, but they don't necessarily believe that it's the right thing to do. And then lastly, almost two in five practicing Christians say they have no non-Christian friends. Now, I think that's probably the big problem right there. I think somewhere along the lines for a lot of Christians, we stop learning how to be friends. We stop learning how to actually like people. We stop learning how to talk around. It's almost as if when you, bap- you got baptized, you left your ability to speak in the water with all your sin and stuff. It's like, well, James, when I spoke with my friends, all we talked about was sinful things. I can't talk. Okay, well, then you just got to stop. You change your talk. Change your speech. But people, Christians don't have friends who aren't believers. And after a while, and year, you go on years like this, you stop, you lose the ability to make friends. You forget how to just be a friend. You invite someone to church, and they accept your invitation. Amen, right? You got their foot in the door. Now all they got to do is hear James preach, and that's it. That, my job is done. <laughs> that's all they got to do, right? They hear James preach. And by some miracle, I said something that inspired them to study the Bible. Oh, wow, now, okay, well, I wasn't expecting that. Okay, well, now we're going to study the Bible. So now we're studying the Bible. And we do the word study. And we talk about discipleship. And we talk about the cross. And we talk about sin. And we talk about baptism. And we talk about, and all the while, we're and we're going, baby. And we just imagine them coming out of the water. All along the way, you don't know their last name, you don't know their birthday, you don't know their color, you don't know what they like, you don't know what makes them struggle, you hadn't watched a movie together, you hadn't taken a walk in the park together, you hadn't shown them that Jesus was a real person who was, had real friends, who actually took a nap on a boat, who went to a wedding, who had some wine. Yes, he did. In fact, he turned some barrels of water into wine. But Jesus didn't overdo it, so don't get too happy. He was joyful. So people are getting all this knowledge about Jesus, soaking it all up. But then they don't know what to do with it. And then months go by, years go by, they get baptized. All right, bro, go with God. It's on to the next one. I'm fired. I got that baptism high now. I'm just, where's the next one? And then this person has no relationship, no friendship, and they're struggling. And then they start struggling in their faith, and they miss service. 
And you call, hey, where you at, man? I just wanted to say, hey, you know, I didn't see you. And, and then you're like, and then on the other end, like, who's this? It's like, I'm me. It's me, the guy who studied the Bible with you. The, you know, me. Oh, you calling me now? And then our brothers and sisters struggle, and we put them up here, and we put them before everybody and say, hey, it's your new brother and sister in Christ. And we applaud. But they have no relationship with anybody. Because we don't know how to make friends. I just walked you through a day in the life of actual disciples who were once a part of Harlem. We got to learn how to make friends. You know, you study the Bible with people. And let me tell you, I, I know it frees some people out when they study with me because I don't like to jump right into the studies. And some brothers are like, bro, come on, we got to, you know. I'm like, so who are you? Tell me, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me your story. I'll tell you my story. We'll, we'll get to the Bible. We'll get, we'll get in there. But you need to know who's teaching you. You need to know if I'm putting this into practice. You need to come to my house, see how I live, because I'm going to challenge you on how you live. If they don't see it in me, how can I call them to walk with Jesus? Yeah, I like going to the movies. Let's go catch a movie. You like to eat? I love to eat. Let's go get something to eat. What you think about what we studied last year? That's good? All right, come on. Let's pray. Let's talk. Let's talk. Be a real friend. Be a real friend. Sometimes the people that we're studying the Bible with can teach us how to be friends. They'll say things. They'll drop little hints. Hey, can we guys, can we hang out? You know, some of us are like, yeah, we'll, we'll hang out afterwards, man. You know, but we're going to get into this first. And we're like, okay, we'll, we'll get into that. But, you know, we, we, you're trying to develop a relationship. And so when I see things like this, I'm not totally surprised. Because we struggle with our own relationships. Now, obviously, you know, we can't take certain, you know, we, we, got, we look at scriptures and we say, well, the Bible says, do not become yoked together with unbelievers. And Jesus says, no, you need to love your neighbor. Yeah, you don't get caught up in all the nonsense, but you still need to love people. Jesus was so much with people that he was accused of being a drunkard. He was accused of being a glutton. That means Jesus was eating. You hear me? He was accused of being, hanging out with sinners and prostitutes. Now, that didn't mean Jesus was going up in brothels and all that stuff. That means that the company he kept were the type of people that everybody else casted out. There are people right now who need people like you. Who need friends. Who are desperately in need of relationship. But they feel like cast out, castaways in the world. They should never feel like that in the church. We got to make space for God in our lives. Here's another passage. Well, this is another statistic. More than half report having two or fewer conversations about faith with a non-Christian during the past year. That means they shared their faith twice the whole year. And guys, this could turn around. 
If this is you, if you feel like, man, that, that's me, that can totally turn around. But you've got to really meditate on, God, what will it mean for me to love my neighbor? How can I love my neighbors? The ones I live next to right now, my coworkers, how can I love them? But you've got to really put some thought into that and be open to how God can show you and then be willing to act on what God reveals to you. Amen? Here's another passage. Philippians 4, verse 8. We need to meditate on scriptures that helps us to see the good in others. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There are many scriptures that encourage us to seek the good in others. And I believe that this is one of them. You know, when you read this passage in context, when you read from the top and you read the passages that follow, it's very clear that what Paul is talking about here is relationship. You know, there were two sisters in the church. Apparently, they were two leaders in the church who worked alongside Paul who were going through some relational issues. And I I don't want to jack up their names, so you can read them in verse 1 and 2. Yeah, because I I, I don't want to... Yeah, I don't want to mess because y'all, y'all get upset when I mess your name up. <laughs> you know, their quarrel was so big that it was causing division, dissension in the church. And Paul decided to address it. You know, Paul decided he was going to address it. And he expected them to work it out because he's like, you got, come on, we're, we're disciples here. We're disciples. So he expected them to work it out. And, you know, I believe that a lot of our relational issues with one another could be easily resolved if we focused on the good instead of the bad in that person. Paul reminded the church that these were good people. He reminded them that they contended. He said, those who who contended alongside me in the faith, he even said that whose names are written in the book of life. He said, these aren't, these aren't the other guys that I wrote about who were dividing the church, who were pulling people away. That's not who they are. But I need you to encourage them to work it out, to work out their differences because it's starting to cause some problems, it's causing some frictions with everyone else. So I want to encourage you guys, work it out, all right? And... You know, when, when, when you can only see the bad, the hurt, the offense in that person, it's going to keep you from moving forward. You're not going to be able to get past the hurt and the offense when all you see, and you just keep playing over and over what that person said, and how they said it, and how they should know better. And you just keep playing it over and over in your head, and you know you got to work it out, But it takes a lot longer because all you see is the bad in that person. Same thing happens in marriage. Some of us go to bed angry, unresolved. Because instead of remembering our vow, remembering that gorgeous woman that walked down that aisle, that you couldn't wait to spend the rest of your life, that handsome man standing there at the pulpit, just waiting for you, tears in his eye, looking all ugly, crying ugly. (laughs) 
can't even get through his vow because he's so overwhelmed with joy that he gets to be your husband. And you go through that issue and you go through that drama and all those happy thoughts. Where are they? Because you keep playing that tape over and over and over and over and over in your head. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she spoke to me like that. I can't believe they did that. He's called himself a disciple. That's why I'm going to the Manhattan region. That's why I'm going to the Bronx. People there, they know how to deal with people. They, they real Christians over there. And we, we, you know, it's like you, I'm like, you want to get through things, right? Then you got to remember, you know what? What is true about this person? You know what? When I was sick, she was the first one to call me. That's what's true. What is noble about that person? You know what? So-and-so told me that when they needed someone to help them move, they were one of the first people to respond. What is lovely about that person? Well, she's my wife. And I remember she looked lovely on that day. And you know what? It was my responsibility to keep her radiant. So I need to remember those lovely days. I need to remember the lovely moments. I need to remember what that felt like. What was admirable? Well, the fact that they're walking with God so many years. And go on and on and on. And the point where Paul says, think about those things. Because when you remind yourself that, man, you know what? This is my brother. This is my sister. I need to get this thing resolved. Let's work this out. And you know what you do? And I'm not saying it's always easy. But you go over and you say, look, we made a covenant with one another when we said Jesus is Lord. Let's work this out. However long it takes, we're going to work this out. We're not going to let Satan defeat us. We're going to conquer him because that's who we are. According to Romans 8, we are conquerors. Let's conquer this thing together. Let's pray. And you work it out. You don't need to get me involved. Work it out. And if you're still having a hard time, here's another passage you need to meditate on. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. At the end of the day, this is what it comes down to. In your relationships, God, you know what? You forgave me completely. You forgave me entirely. Help me to do the same. Help me to forgive this person. And look, I'll be the first one to admit, it's a lot easier to forgive a Christian than it is a non-Christian. And you need to really meditate. Because they may not be willing to hold to the scriptures. You may even try to share scripture with them. Like, what are you talking? I don't believe in that. And you may make attempts, but the Bible says, as long as it depends on you. You can't control a person's action. But as long as it depends on us, we need to seek peace. Amen? And then lastly, persevere. We need to meditate on scriptures that encourage us to hang in there. In James 1, chapter 2, verse 4, consider it pure joy. 
My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And now in verse 12, blessed or happy is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You know, I spent a whole year in 2015 meditating on this passage alone. Every day I read this scripture because I needed to persevere. This wasn't about me and my wife and you guys. This was about me and God. There are times where you get called out into the desert like Jesus did in Luke 4. And where it's just you and God. And the trials that set before you. And there's nobody else around you. And you got to really hang on. And you got to fight for your faith. You got to fight and persevere. And here's the thing. There's growth once it's done. When you allow yourself to finish like Paul said, like James said right here, Perseverance must finish his work. There's no shortcuts to growth. There's no shortcuts to maturity. You can't take a pill and automatically grow in your faith. It doesn't work that way. You can't even pray and expect God to give you more faith without there being something to refine that faith. That's God's progress. That's God's process. Peter had to get out and walk on water. Because that's how his faith was refined. These men had to walk with Jesus. They had to mess up. They had to experience God's grace in order to say that they've grown in God's grace. Paul had to be the worst of sinners in order for God's grace to not be without effect in his life. He had to go through that process. Jesus said, I will show him how much he must suffer for in my name. God had a plan to mature Paul, just like he has a plan to mature all of us. Now, I wish that we could say, God, this is how I want to glorify you. This is what I want to go through in order to get here. I want to have a few arguments with my wife, but that's it. Just one, give us, all right, one big one. And then I want to grow in communication. I want to, I want to have it down doesn't work that way. Lord, I, I just want to, just maybe one falling out with a brother or sister. Just, just one. And it doesn't work that way. We got to persevere through trials. Trials are necessary for our spiritual growth. In 2015, this, it was a difficult year for us. You guys have heard the story many times. It was the hardest time as a, in, my, in my Christian walk. You know, when you see your child suffers and you can't do anything about it, that's hard. That's, in, that's almost impossible to expect someone to be happy or joyful during that process. And all the while, my mom is dying of cancer in the hospital while we're going through this. I mean, it was, it was a hard time, hard time. And I just kept reading the scripture over and over and over and over. I was determined to become that person. I said, God, you need to help me. And, and, and once I got to a point to where, all right, I'm going to stick in there. I'm not going to, because I'm telling you, 
it was I was at places where I was thinking, you know what? I just want to go. I just want to get in my car and drive. I just want to drive until the gas tank runs out and wherever I'm at, I'll be. I just want to escape. And sometimes we get there. And so once I got to a point where I'm not going anywhere, I'm in this for the long haul. Now I had to continue reading because now I need to consider this joyful. And I'm like, what? I'm thinking, that's the, the easy part was deciding to not go anywhere. Because you got, when you know, when you come to a place like Harlem, and there are always people, bro, we're praying for you, brothers. You know, I mean, brothers and sisters, well, you guys were amazing. And I never felt proud of being a part of this church. And, you know, the support you gave my wife, the support. I mean, Harlem showed up when my mom passed. I mean, you know, my family got to see the church. And they were like, wow, this is your church? And I'm like, no, this is only some of our people. This is only some. This is not even everybody. But the people they got to talk to, they were impressed. They were blown away. And I thought, yes, this is, this is my family. This is my family. But when it got to the part where, okay, now you've got to consider this process pure joy. That's when I took a step back and thought, God, you're asking too much. I don't think this is possible. How can I consider this pure joy? How can I, how can I look at what I'm going through and be happy that I'm going through it? And I tell you, when you meditate and you ask yourself those honest questions, God, how? because God's not going to call you to do something that you can't do. That he's not willing to walk with you through. And I thought, God, I need, I need some encouragement. I need inspiration. And then my sister, Margaret Martinez, had a surgery. And she had a knee replacement. Then she had another one. And then she's coming to church. And I'm like, this sister is in pain. And she's here. And she has a smile on her face. I'm inspired. I thought about our sister, Lynn Cherry, who every week showed up to church. And I thought... How could I want to quit when this sister has every excuse, every reason to quit, and she's here? I thought about my brother Nietzsche, who was in the ministry, battling colon, uh, uh, prostate cancer. And I watched as he wasted, wasted away. We'll come to meetings. We'll come, and I'm thinking, what excuse do I have? How can I quit? And Nietzsche, I'll never forget one of the things he said. Why not me? If I wasn't going through it, who would I wish it on? Who, who else would I say, God, give it to that person because I can't handle it? And so I had to step back and think, you know what, God? I'm grateful you chose me to be an example in this way. Because now I can help many others. See, it's one thing to preach and have God's word. But if you don't have the life to back it up, it loses its power. And God knew that. God is like, James, I'm going to make you a better preacher, but I'm not going to give you some, some catchy illustrations or, or, or some, some memorable lines. I'm going to give you the faith. I'm going to give you the character. I'm going to give you the hope. That's what's going to preach. 
Because when we need to persevere, we need real life examples, not just words. I think about my brother, Junior Hickman. Breaking downs, but he's still hipping and hopping. Some of us here have lost loved ones, recovered from financial hardship, relational trials, spiritual recoveries, dark times, mentally and emotionally. Others reconciling their marriages. Persevere. You're still here because you have decided to love God with all your being. You're holding on and you don't even know how you're holding on. But you're doing it. And it's because of God's word that's in you, that's dwelling in you richly. And you just need to hold on and meditate. God, how am I still doing this? How am I still here? And give God the glory for the strength he's given you. You know, I've learned just watching some of you come in here every week. And I know it's been hard, but you haven't quit. Some of you with a smile on your face. And I quietly resent you because you're, you're smiling and I'm like burning up. Like, how are they so happy? <laughs> you ever just envy somebody's joy? Their ability to smile? I mean, somebody coming in, Lynn, I mean, Lynn would be, smile every time. And you knew she was in pain. But she claimed her crown of victory. You know, it's in those moments when you realize that, man, I might actually grow through this. Because I can actually see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's where the joy comes from. Is the confidence in knowing that this is only light and momentary. And that God is going to bring me through. That's where you get the joy from. And so I want to leave us with a challenge. I want to encourage you to take 15 minutes a day. This week, find a passage. You can use one of the passages I gave you, but find a passage of Scripture and just meditate on it for 15 minutes. Really allow yourself to absorb it and ask God to help you change as a result of what you just read. Don't just read it. Spend time with it. It may be the same passage for the rest of the week, but I'm going to leave that up to you because we all have different needs. We're all at a different place spiritually. But I want to encourage you, take 15 minutes. Now, you might be like, James, I can't add another thing to my My life. is so busy. You know, I gave my, my house church this challenge on Friday. And there was a sister in our group. This sister is amazing. She serves in the church. She serves in her community. She's a mother. She has kids. She is busy. And she felt challenged. She said, I don't know where I'm going to get 15 minutes to do this. But then she said, but you know what? When I need to take a phone call for a few minutes, I tell my kids, you know what? Give mom a few minutes. I need to take this call. And they do it. I can do the same thing with this. You know what? Give mommy a few minutes to meditate and I'll, I'll be with you guys. That's it. Simple as that. Our kids, nothing can, you know, you, got, you get an hour of your job or half hour, whatever. Take a few minutes. If you got to break it up, do whatever you have to. But you can make space for God's word in your life. Amen? Amen. Love your neighbor. Love God with all your heart. See the good in others and persevere. If you meditate on these things, I guarantee you'll see 
growth in your life that you haven't experienced in a long time. I love you guys and to God be the glory.